thank you for joining us. This is episode 34 of Amateur 3D Podcast, a podcast by amateur printers for amateur printers, where we share our thoughts and experience. Our panelists this week are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Kevin Buckner, Chris Weber, and Andy's on the train. That's Andy <laughs> Cottom, for those of you who have not been paying attention. On a train. And so if you hear me drop out, I'm currently on Amtrak at the moment. That's why I might randomly disappear if I lose cell service or have crappy audios. So I apologize for anybody who has a difficulty understanding me at all. Well, and, and eh, you didn't I want put, to talk about this topic anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I put you at the end of the list just in case I need to cut you off anyway, Andy. Oh, that's good to hear. I'm glad I'm being thought of. <laughs> um, did you work on anything this week, Andy? Um, me, I did. I did. I uh, let's see. I got some adapters printed for my fish tank. Um, some barbed adapters, and they worked pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> except the barbed part of the uh, tubing just isn't working as well as I would like. It's either too, uh, too, uh, not enough resistance in the pipe that it makes a seal, or it's too much resistance in the pipe that it tears the silicone coating around the 3D printed parts. And I just can't really get it to work right. And I, I, I think I've finally given up here. I've asked Kev <laughs> if he'll print one of these for me in SLA. And um, the... As soon as I get to evaluate how well an SLA prints this kind of component, I think that will determine whether or not I go to the wife asking her if I can purchase an SLA printer. <laughs> and I kind of work on that, I believe. Um, it has been nice enough to print, print them for me so far, and looking at his pictures, they turned out beautiful. So I'm really excited for it, to be honest. Good deal. Which tells you one of the things Kevin's been doing this week. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, have you done anything else, Kev? Um, yeah, so I finished printing the uh, the dice tower on the FDM printer, and um, after I after last week's episode, I looked at the minifigures that I printed for my friends and saw that there were a few places where they failed. Uh, the the parts were flat on them, and so I I reprinted those and had much better success um, with the the uh, things that Andy had me print though I did notice that so I, I tried one at a 45 degree angle with supports and I tried another one without supports and the one without supports worked out great I mean they both worked mm -hmm. very well but um, there were there are no little bumps or deformities on the one that uh, had no supports uh, but I did notice a small hole um, at the shoulder of it uh, but I was able to put just a little bit of resin into the hole and then cure it with a handheld black light before putting it in the curing station to cure even further. So I got that all patched up and I think it will probably, uh, hopefully anyway, do what Andy wants it to do. That is one thing about FDM printers that is a little more complex. I mean, you could get one of the, uh, the filament pens and touch up stuff like that. But otherwise, it's, you know, I, I can imagine somebody's probably sitting there with a lighter and a little piece of filament warming it up and trying to stick it in a hole real quick before it <laughs> dries or cools off. I wouldn't do anything of the sort. <clears throat> <laughs> Why do I not believe you, Chris? 
really though, um, if you if you if you get a little bit of resin, you can still save your FDM prints in in the same fashion that uh, Kevin just described. There's that. So, is there just a possibility, Kev, that that component component needed to be designed slightly different to be able to function a little bit better with SLA, and that's why what caused the hole? Uh, no, I think what caused the hole is that I have a. Uh, a bargain basement SLA printer. So it doesn't always work the best. Um, and it just randomly will get small imperfections like that. Like I'm sure if I were to print it the same time, the exact same way, if there was a hole, it would probably be in a different location. There may be no hole at all. It it all just depends on the luck of uh, the print. Hmm. Well, and FDM, has a lot of luck tied to it quite often too. So sometimes temperature variations and all kinds of stuff will mess with it. Yeah, I mean, well, it's kind of neat to see that the same um, effort that I put into making it not require support for FDM was also able to support this SLA print. That's cool. I don't think I've honestly yeah. ever seen it. Yeah, that was really cool. Is Andy breaking up for you guys as bad as he is for me? Yeah, yes. <clears throat> so it's Andy. So anyway, we'll just continue. But that's that is really cool, you know, that uh, it was able to translate across like that. Yeah, and and speaking of the luck of FDM, also uh, uh, my older son's birthday party was last night. He had his friends over, and one of them was admiring all the things that I've printed, and he commented that he can't get anything to print on his FDM printer. So. I asked him a, a few questions um, like about bed leveling and whatnot. And he said that he just uses the auto leveler. But the problem he's experiencing is that the carriage goes all weird. He can't ever get anything to print successfully. So I didn't have much time to talk to him, though, because obviously he wasn't there to talk about printing stuff. And it's my son's party. So I just let it be. But huh. Yeah. I thought it was odd that he's having that. Uh, so I wanted to ask him um, what kind of slicer he's using and see if it's an, an issue with his settings, but I didn't get around to that. Well, um, I can't think of any reason why you couldn't be a resource for him. If right. Only because if you run into something that you can't help him figure out, you've got three other uh, people that have some experience that could help him too. Sure, sure. So I was actually planning on having my son tell him about the podcast and let him know that if he's ever got any questions, we're we're always happy to help. Well, and this might be a good way to get someone to reply to us and say, hey, you want to talk about this? I don't understand this problem. Everybody's right. welcome to do it. Just nobody does. Right. Um, yeah, that's fun otherwise. Your son have a good uh, birthday party? Yes, he did. Good. That's always nice. My birthday's coming up on Monday. The The extent of my fun on my birthday is I'm not going to work. Nice. <laughs> that's more that's than the, a lot of people do, actually. Th that's the grown-up way to celebrate your birthday, right? Right. I, I refuse to work <laughs> on my birthday. I always take it off. I never work on my birthday. Well, there we go. So, uh, Chris, have you worked on anything this week? Mm. Um, no. So my child also has a birthday this week. 
So we, I spent a lot of my week t- taking care of that. But I did get a new uh, controller grip printing last night because, uh, you know, one of those Joy-Con grips for the Nintendo, I, the, the wife had some purple plastic from Christmas stuff. And she goes, I want my own my own grip. And I said, okay, I'll print it. <laughs> so got that going right now. Sounds good to me. Anytime you, you end go. up with uh, the plastic or the the design, once you've already done it, it's like, yeah, whatever you want, we can customize it for you. Um, so was that it then? Just the yep. grip? Yep, okay. just the grip. Um, I guess that leaves me. I actually spent all week working on those blocks. Um, finally got one that is tight in both the top with the superstructures and on the inside so that um, they hold on to the existing blocks the way they're supposed to. And they interact with each other the way I expect them to as well. So I'm going to start pushing uh, different colors of those out and taking them to my mom and dad's. Um, so you, you've been being a blockhead all week? Um, yes. You got cool. me, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did find, um, Andy replied to it, but I did find an interesting way of finishing, uh, 3d printers. Um, there's the, uh, the card, what are they called? Uh, card seal that, um, carpenters use to take off a little bit more material at a time instead of doing the, uh, sandpaper. And, um, one of the, this video I saw, this guy was using that to smooth out the layer lines. And to hear him talk about it, it only took him 10 minutes to do this part, whereas earlier revisions of the part took him an hour to get as smooth as he wanted them to be. And that included things like uh, sand, paint sand, and um, just a regular surface sanding. So, so well... I- I, what I wonder is, I was seeing a technique where <clears throat> a guy would take uh, the UV resin for resin printers, and then he would kind of paint over his paint over the layer lines instead to smooth them out, and then cure them in a station. So I wonder if he would have a comparison on that also. Hmm. A- Maybe you know, additive smoothing rather than subtractive smoothing. Hmm. Um. Well, and. More often than not, when I have the layer lines, it's on the outside anyway, so it's not going to really change the parameters. Um, Not too much. I do think, um, as I'm getting closer to finishing these blocks, I do need to change that outside parameter a little bit so that they're a little tighter, but not not a super lot, not a ton. well, and it's I had a good thing you're working with the big blocks and not actual Lego blocks because, ooh, man, those, well, those things are so tight. And at that point, we're talking 10 layers, maybe, for <laughs> <laughs> the Legos. Um, and at that point, I would probably just use a super high grit anyway. But I did buy some of the, uh, the card steel shavers. And um, just because... I see myself using them in the wood shop if they don't work out for the plastic. So I'll keep those in mind. Um, yeah, let me know how they let me know how they really work and if they're they're if they're a good tool, I want to get in on those. I imagine your father-in-law has got an opinion about it too. Um, they are described on Amazon as 
what are they? Uh, uh, cabinetry uh, card shavers, I think, was the name for them. Um, so because he, he he's a carpenter, but not necessarily with a, a focus on the cabinetry, it may not be as appropriate. Yeah. But I don't, he, I don't he may already have some, too, that he can show you how they work. So either way. Okay, uh, cool. Yeah. So other than that, just in case our listeners haven't guessed yet, Andy fell out. Um, not He didn't fall out of the train. He just fell out of the podcast. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least we assume he didn't fall out of the train. That we don't be really know right now. Yeah, because he doesn't have the signal. He can't tell us that he didn't fall out of the train. He may have. Um, though I doubt it. He's smarter right. than that. His and wife, on the other hand. No, and, I shouldn't say that. I'm, and I'm modern trains out. have. Yeah. I was like, you don't give her enough credit, man. You should see the cosplay she comes up with. She's she, Oh, no. She's just as smart as he is, just in a different way. She is very clever. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say, modern trains have all kinds of safety features that prevent you from, you know, even opening the door while the train's in motion. So That's true. Because people are stupid. Yep. Got to prepare anyway, for the stupid. Um, so we've got a topic this week. It is molds and material for casting. Okay. Well, I've got some material for casting, but they're all in my tackle box. <laughs> the old, I was going to uh, say, we're, we're not talking about aspergillus or penicillium either. That blue thing in the back of your fridge because you forgot, haven't cleaned your fridge out for two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that kind of mold. <laughs> But really, oh, though, yes. um, you, you can use, uh, you can melt down uh, casting sinks to, to <clears throat> for, for, for molding. You can, yeah. you can melt those down for that. But. If you want to cast something out of lead. Um, yeah. And I guess technically your fish hooks would probably melt down relatively easy, wouldn't they? They're mm, not, not like, sure. they're not they like steel. steel, are they? Well, I yeah. guess it depends on the hook, too. Yeah. Um, but whatever you do, if you want to keep your catch, don't 3D print fish hooks. <laughs> no, no, there, there's not a lot of tensile strength in something small enough to catch your little pond fish. Right. I say little, <laughs> but I mean anything smaller than a foot long. I'd say anything smaller than a foot long is small. With minnows. You might be yeah, able to catch yeah. minnows, but you wouldn't be using a hook for that. You'd be using a 3D printed basket. So. Right. Yep. Um, there was one thing we have kind of talked about lost medium casting in the past. Right. But uh, another so, thing that comes to mind is the uh, vacuum or yeah, vacuum molding. You can use the, the vacuum process to make a mold out of a 3D print and then, you know, mold plastic inside of that afterwards. So. Right. So I guess it depends on what type of medium you're thinking of casting are you thinking of casting you know a, a metallic thing like out of aluminum or lead or are you just doing a silicone mold you know mm -hmm. there's very different ways to use the 3d prints to do to do said molding so um i know i've talked about my buddy before um and he did casting out of aluminum but he did what was called a lost he he did the lost medium method but he basically got himself a little stand with a piece of wire between two posts 
and then he ran current through it so that the wire would get hot and then he would take pieces of foam from just wherever packing mm-hmm. foam from packages or whatever and he would just use the foam and that hot wire to cut whatever shape he wanted and then yeah. he would pack that down in some in some casting sand and pour molten aluminum in and it would just basically vaporize vaporize the um foam and replace it. and you can supposedly do this with a lot of different things you can use wax you can use some people have tried plastic but apparently plastic doesn't work as well as you'd think um and i do suspect so. the plastic would leave more ash whereas the uh the styrofoam or urethane foam whatever um i think would be let well maybe urethane foam now that i think about it would leave more stuff inside of the mold too or just mm. regular styrofoam from your uh from any package that you get or something like yeah, it would that. Vaporize sure it. almost instantly with any sort of heat, but yeah. Um, the, you, the, you breathe on it just right and it almost vaporizes. So, but you know, <laughs> the, the, the urethane foam did work well anyway. Um, especially because sometimes you have to pack the sand kind of tight mm-hmm. to get a, to get a good mold. And so. you don't necessarily want to compress it if you can help it. Yeah. That makes sense. So, but, um, if you're going to use this method and you can't you can't find a, a a shop or something locally to get you quote unquote casting sand what you can do is you can get a bunch of um basically you can make a sieve for yourself to and you can use just any sort of sand or dirtish usually it's not a, it's just as easy in our area because we have a lot of sand like most of the dirt around here is sand because we're in a desert. Well, because we're in a lake bed, but yeah. Yeah. So basically you can just do layered, layered sieves. So kind of like, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen any archeology span digs where they, mm-hmm. you know, they take up a screen and they shake it through. So you have a series of screens, one above the other and each with a finer, a uh, set of holes in each one so that till till so at the very bottom you've got the finest set of holes and then you've got your bucket or whatever you want your casting sand in and you, you have them up up all on these racks and then you just have that rack mounted to the, the the end of a motor and then the other end of the motor that's got the pulley on it you just run the motor with a counter counter yeah, a counterweight on the pulley so that it shakes. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the whole thing shakes. So all you have to do is put dirt in the top and then clean out the trays. Well, and, and they they actually use the same process with just regular construction. They'll break it down on site and send the different materials to different uh, locations to be processed and sold that way. But I've also seen like, uh, what is it on the Discovery Channel with the gold... Uh, gold folks up in, uh, I think it's Alaska, where they find these big areas and they just sieve through the dirt and they've got big shakers to separate everything and all that. Um, I was thinking it might be interesting to create at least the larger sieves with the, the, the larger holes out of thermal plastic and manually shake it. It'd be yeah, more can- like... The old uh, gold rush days where you got the big pan f- with holes at the bottom, but that would still be cool. <laughs> well, yeah, 
I mean, and there's a lot of a lot of ways to get different uh, get these kind of screens. You know, got a couple of different kinds of window screens mm-hmm. from his local hardware store. Just uh, stick them on a frame and do it that yep. way. Yep. Um. Yeah. If the old way actually works better, use it, right? <laughs> so, anyway, yes, there's that way um, to get some casting sand, you know, and, and use the lost medium method that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, you can uh, hop online and do a search for casting sand, casting materials. And that's for, <clears throat> that's for uh, aluminum and lead casting. So yeah, and, and as you get to the the metals with the higher uh, temperature ratings, you don't necessarily want sand anyway. Yep. So uh, that isn't unless, of course, you know you want glass on the outside of whatever you cast. Could be interesting to do that too. Yeah, could be. <laughs> <laughs> like um, self self enameling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So so that's the uh, the the metal casting. Um, I think more popular though is the silicone. Yeah, um, and the the and vacuum, vacuum molds would probably be more useful for stuff like that. Create the negative with a three D print, and then use that to to do the rest of your casting. Um, I did just remember uh, my conversation with my cousin, uh, episode three or four, where we were talking about he. What they do at his job is they actually will create the mold out of concrete and, you know, out of the hole, they'll melt whatever thermoplastic they put in it to get the void. And then they'll put the, uh, the metal, the molten metal inside it. And then once that cools, they just break the concrete off it. So it's not really a reusable mold. It's just a, a more desirable way than 100% reductive. Uh, machining so yeah yeah well you know when it comes to business it's they're always finding the path of least resistance and most that's true so um and and honestly that's part of why we don't try to do this professionally ourselves anyways we like wasting time on stupid design (laughs) stuff or (laughs) printing stuff that (laughs) hence the word hobby yeah yeah right (laughs) Um, my cousin, I did a a project for him. I printed off a, uh, a dragon a while ago and he, the way he described it is he was doing uh, vacuum casting with clear resin and he used the dragons that I printed off for him as part of this thing that he was doing for his niece. So that's all fun too. Yeah. Lots of opportunities there. Um, you do, especially when you're you're using the thermoplastic to make a negative, though. Um, you want to have it smooth because I've seen a lot of videos and that sort of thing where they'll do the casting and um, the part that comes out will actually have layer lines in it from their FDM printer. Huh, cool. So, oh, and like uh, you were saying, yeah, there's a there's a couple of different ways to smooth it out. You know, you can yeah. paint over it with resin and cure it. You can shave it. You can sand it. You can um, you can heat gun it. <laughs> yeah, that's, you could do that. That's the, one, that's the last one I actually recommend, though, because you can it, it's, deform you things. Absolutely destroy your part accidentally. Yeah. yeah. 
try not to do that. <laughs> and don't bake it in the oven or your wife might get very, very upset. <laughs> yeah. Might. Which is which is why I want to get a little toaster oven and try for, for baking electronics. That you know, way I can I have, just I can do it outside. I have a toaster oven that I'm not currently using. I might hit you up for that for for garage parts. Yeah. And you know, you, you can throw a hot pocket in there and because you don't care if stuff tastes like plastic, you're good to go. Well, worse than plastic is burnt electronics. Mm. I don't know if yeah. you've ever smelled smelled it when you get the magic smoke coming out of your electronics, but when food tastes like that, it's even worse. Silicon has an interesting flavor when it's been <laughs> turned into gas. Crunch, 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 eating microchips. <laughs> crunch. <laughs> microchips and salsa. Yum. <laughs> uh, I was thinking ranch, but salsa works too. <laughs> you know, I've I've thought about getting some of that uh, wax resin forecasting. The problem is I don't know what I would use it for or uh, what kind of metal I would cast uh, from it. Because I do know they used to make uh, miniatures for Dungeons and Dragons and uh, similar games out of pewter, mm-hmm. which is a lead-based alloy. And I've got some lead, but I don't know that I really want to be playing with lead. You know? <laughs> I like pewter, though. Pewter is a uh, yeah. interesting metal to... Pewter is I, I like fun. the aesthetic. How about that? I like the oh, aesthetic sure. of pewter. I, yeah. I think it's pretty. It, it yeah. definitely is. And so, like, if I could find some pewter bullion or ingots or whatever, maybe I would use that to print up some minifigures and then cast them into pewter. That actually is a great idea. Because um, uh, I'm looking at the uh, the dragon collection that my wife has, and I would say uh, somewhere between an eighth and a quarter of them are cast pewter of some form. And, you know, that is really really good looking so um i do find myself wondering if aluminum would be a good material for the figurines as well it might be um i don't have a crucible that could melt aluminum though i mean and i've I've, i know they're not that difficult to find or make i just haven't had an excuse but then and i was thinking of I was thinking of doing that, but then Andy was talking about that, that, that it's a viscous um, metal. And so I don't know if it would be able to go through like the, the tinier parts Mm. of the minifigure. So how it works is as long as you have a couple of it's, it's kind of like the opposite of supports. You have to have a couple of escape holes for a little bit. And so that's all you do is when you, you, when you set it in the casting, you poke a couple of escape holes in it both in, in, in the bottom a little bit and then sometimes a couple in the sides. And then you've got the, the, the hole that you pour it in, in in the top. And so you get that casting done and you cut off the other three. But if you don't give the air somewhere to go when you're doing that kind of casting, it really screws up your casting. Yeah. Well, and it seems to me you would want to do that for any material, not necessarily just aluminum though, right? Right, right, but so. um, the lost the lost wax method is supposedly the best way to uh, do uh, aluminum. Okay, supposedly that's interesting. I don't. Know I have seen where that. where they just create the void with whatever object, and then they pull out the object while they're uh, 
they're setting up for the casting. Oh yeah, so there's that other kind of casting sand that's a lot that acts a lot more like uh you guys know that memory foam that your kids play with? No. That's kind of kind of kinetic foam or not kinetic kinetic sand. Sorry. Oh, yeah. With. Yeah. So there's uh some casting sand that acts a lot more like that. So what you do is you've got two uh boxes. boxes. Yes. Usually what I've boxes. seen they're just boxes, yeah. Yeah, they're boxes. You put you put a bunch of sand in it, you put your thing in in it, pack it down real tight, pack 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 pack. Put the uh, other box on top of it, fill it up, pack it real tight, pack 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 pack. And then you pull them apart and you can take your thing out and now you have a uh sand cast for so another uh, detail just in case anybody hasn't done this yet before you put the boxes together you want to put um usually what i've seen is talcum powder between them so that you can get the boxes back apart right Right. um yeah i was getting just the base gist of it yeah yeah i feel like that's an important detail if somebody is though (laughs) otherwise you're doing lost medium whether you meant to or not Right, right. (laughs) It does remind me, I have seen several videos from some guy, I don't remember who, but he will uh, either cut out of foam or 3D print, or sometimes both, parts for fantasy weapons. Mm -hmm. And then he'll do what Chris was describing there, doing the the two-side casting sand, packing it down real tight, throwing the white powder on there to get them apart and then he'll dump either molten steel or molten aluminum, depending on how strong he wants it to be in there. And like, he'll make chimney holes and everything. And it's, it's a pretty fascinating thing to watch. And then you get, of course, the commenters saying, this isn't real forging. This is casting. I'm like, shut up. Just enjoy the video. It's a cool process to watch. Does he sell it as forging? You know, no, no. Cause do the title say casting? The title says making. Oh, oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So it it is real making. Right. (laughs) I was like, I I don't know. I I think if he was, if he was doing this 300 years ago, they would, anybody and everybody would call it forging. Actually, um, there's a detail I came across. I can't prove it or uh, even reference where I saw it. But so it's hearsay. It, if you go back far enough, apparently blacksmiths were considered more in the realm of practical, but um, they were considered it was considered witchcraft. You were taking this rock that you found somewhere and heating it up and turning it into a sword or armor or something like that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, they, they were in the same category as the witches which were brewers. They weren't evil or anything. They, they wore the hats to advertise that they had beer. <laughs> you know? So um, the, uh, just the whole uh, craftsmanship aspect. Um, I have, well, we started with bronze before we got into steel, or at least that's the more recognized uh, progression. And bronze, you don't really cast or sorry you don't forge you cast it and then you machine it after that so um there's no reason in my mind that a blacksmith wouldn't know how to cast certain materials 
obviously they wouldn't necessarily want it to go with uh, um, casting steel just because of the temperatures it would take to turn it into molten steel instead of burning it off, but it'd be doable. Maybe not ideal until a hundred years ago or so. Yeah. Well, that's right. the great thing. Almost all of our technology is we took, we took rocks and put them together in new ways to make all kinds of things that do things for us. Yeah. Like we put, put electric, put electricity through it. <laughs> Just a big rock that somebody found. Yep. Put together rocks and some tar and, 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 uh, some, uh, di- dinosaur liquid. <laughs> together together in a creative way and now we got a car that goes 100 you know 200 miles an hour fermented dinosaur bones <laughs> <laughs> and then those cars also go on a, a different uh mixture of rocks and dinosaur liquid right yeah except for something tells me that tar is uh for the tires not so much dinosaur waste it would catch dinosaurs for sure, but I don't. I don't think that it's the dinosaur waste. Uh, no, it, no. Asphalt is among the last byproducts of crude oil refining. Gotcha. I guess that makes sense too. You do have to pull out the impurities that make it black in the first place. Right. So I mean, those could the, the tar could have been introduced after the dinosaur completely liquefied. There's that. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, I, I'm sure we will have at least one listener that will go, oil is not dinosaur waste. And everybody yeah, else is I going, know, I, didn't, I didn't know that oil was dinosaur waste. Yeah. Yeah. It's I guess it depends on the region, of course, but yeah. <laughs> Fun stuff. It's 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 old, 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 old trees. No, that's coal. Oil is indeed dinosaur waste. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So, so, well, so we... <laughs> the, way, the way you get cubic zirconians is you compress trees a lot <laughs> and pass or electricity if, through if them. You, if, if, if you do it just right, they'll grow on their own. Uh, there's that. Which is even cooler. But Agreed. <laughs> so we, uh, there was the metal casting. Um, so what about vacuum molding? How much how much experience have you had with the vacuum molding? Absolutely none. No. I, I saw um uh what's his name from uh Mythbusters. Adam Savage? Yeah. I saw Adam Savage operate a vacuum uh cast machine once. I've seen a few videos, so besides yeah, I've that. Seen, I've seen one where somebody makes a Darth Vader mask. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. Um, hmm. I would think though, that you know, so, so that's really cool for doing like, um, chocolate molds. You know, <laughs> do, make, make your own custom chocolate molds. Well, or, or and cake, cake pop molds or whatever. I've, I would expect that at least semi often the, uh, the vacuum mold is where you're making, you're not making a blank. So you're not going to uh, make another part out of it. The blank is actually, say, whatever the source is, and then the plastic gets vacuumed to it, and that becomes your bucket or your tray or whatever you're going to mm-hmm. do with the vacuum. Um, so you can go both ways with a vacuum-molded um, piece. 
Yep. Can easily be the negative for your final product or it can be the actual final product. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But then there's the silicone molding, right? So I haven't done a whole lot with silicon or looked into it or anything like that. You would be the one to ask, I guess. It's been on my, it's been on my, (laughs) I haven't done it. I haven't seen anybody do it, but it's been kind of on my radar because, you know, it's one of those really cool things that you can make a lot of things with um, Mm -hmm. silicon, especially where, um, yeah, TPU is, is, is fun and stuff, but it's still a little rigid as it comes to material and um, silicone is something that you can really make flexible, like, yeah, really like flexible. So, for a lot of thicknesses, you can make it flexible. Whereas TPU, after you get, I don't know, five millimeters thick, um, it's still softish, <laughs> but it's not it's- as. Flexible. Yeah, it's semi semi flexible, but not very flexible. If you if you uh, fold it in half, you're gonna have that crease line in it forever, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I was thinking silicone molding would be re- really fun for lots of the um, like um, cosplay. Cosplay yeah. is a lot of it is silicone molding simply because um, you have to be have to have flexible stuff to be able to wear it you have to have stuff that's relatively lightweight i'll admit well, silicone is y- definitely not breathable but you can get larger sizes with things like uh vacuum molding and even silicon um at a hobby level than what you can with 3d printing too so it really depends on i imagine the uh the size of what you're trying to do too. Yep. Like if you, if you're cosplaying a character with a small dagger or something, yeah, you can 3d print that or print it in parts even. But if you get to something that's bigger, like a sword and it, you don't want to do it in parts, it might be better print, to, to vacuum print seal the, it. Yeah. So you can print the mold in parts, mm-hmm. stick them together and then, smooth it out make it all nice and then you know silicone cast uh, or, or well not necessarily sword trick per se but you know a bigger part whatever the bigger part is yeah. or you can vacuum cast it at, at that point yeah yeah there's that for sure so definitely big on the hobby <sighs> side there well i do feel like we have a much shorter podcast without andy um Unless you guys have something else to say, why don't we close this up and then uh, well, we can go on? To be with fair, day. we did get right to the meat <laughs> this yep. time. So, yeah. Well, w- without you and Andy playing off each other, we don't waste as much time there, Chris. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have to dig at somebody, and because Andy's not here to hear it, I got to dig at you. Okay, so I'm scape. I'm the secondary scapegoat. <laughs> Except for when you're primary. I, I just don't feel like it. My heart's not in it today. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to the very end. The very, very end. Uh, If you like what you hear, please give us all the stars and subscribe. We are available through a wide variety of podcast vendors, and so we're easy to share. 
If you have any feedback or if you have content requests, please let us know. Uh, you can find us in our Facebook group, Amateur 3D Pod, or you can email us at panelists at amateur3dpod.com. Our individual feedback, you can email us at Franklin, Kevin, Andy, or Chris at amateur3dpod.com. The music in this episode was written by Kevin Buckner, and OpenAI's Whisper completed the heavy lifting for the transcripts, which you can find linked in the, in the description. Our panelists this week are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Kevin Buckner, Chris Weber, and Andy Cotta. And until next time, we're going offline. Keep your FEP tight. We're going to miss you five ever, Andy. Five ever. It's more than four ever. Okay. I got it. Yeah, I got it too. It just. Whatever. I didn't laugh. Yeah, me neither. <laughs>